Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It is round two with the guys from Grizzly Bear Blues. Today, we have the site manager, Mr. Joe Molinak. Joe, how's it going? I'm doing all right, buddy. I can't complain. It wouldn't do me any good anyway. Nobody cares. How are y'all doing? <laughs> doing great, man. Uh, it, it's been a busy last few days in the NBA, and I, I at work, not that anybody cares about my job, but at work, we, we have people on vacation, so I've been picking up some extra shifts, so... Busy week, but I will enjoy the paycheck when it comes in for sure. I will keep to myself how I was at the beach for a couple of days before this conversation. Then, so hey, no, no, never mind. Man. I was not relaxing in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> hey, you're uh, you're done for the summer, right? Being a teacher, you get a little bit of a break. You're yeah, uh, a little I, bit of a break. I, but on on my professional side, I just got a new job. So, uh, you know, we're moving further south in Virginia. So. It's a little bit of a busy time for me too, but it was nice to get away with the family just for a couple of days and and do the beach thing and try to relax a little bit before a pretty crazy summer. Uh, moving a wife and three kids is not easy. I will say that. And, um, it's it's going to be an adventure, but you know, at least the the NBA can be a welcome distraction. For sure, M- moving in general is not easy. Adding the uh, the full size family to it that uh, j- just adds to it. So. That's uh, that's not something I enjoy. I moved a ton whenever I was younger and we just bought a house last year and Lord willing, I will not move again the rest of my life. We'll see how that works. I, I hear you on that for sure. So let's jump into some Grizzlies chat. I think there, there are a number of different things that the Grizzlies are going to have to face heading into this off season. There's some holes that we saw on the roster heading into our, from the jazz series, but the first thing that I, I want to uh, see where you're at is the the Winslow option. Are you a fan of them picking up the option? Do you think they're picking up the option? Do you like Winslow on this team, or would you prefer that they move on? Well, I think that the the important second part to that question is if you if you opt into him, what are you giving up? And if you opt out of him, how are you replacing him? Right. Like, I think that that is an important follow up piece to the puzzle, because if you are going to stick with Winslow, who, you know, obviously, as I've said here, there and everywhere, I'm not ready to call him a failure yet. I don't think that he's a failure of climate and company. You know, I think that overvalues what Jay Crowder brought to the Grizzlies. And we don't have to debate that because everybody yells at me about it. But that's my that's my take on Jay Crowder. I, I think he's extremely overrated for what he did in terms of on-the-court production for that Memphis basketball team. Um, So I'm not ready to call it a failure. I do think that because of the way that Winslow played, it's a fair discussion to have. But my counter would be, what what are you going to do instead? And I think that if you believe they have a realistic shot at Alonzo Ball, if you think that they have a realistic shot at a Josh Hart, and you want to replace Winslow with somebody like that, 
then maybe I could hear the conversation. But if you don't believe that either of those guys are obtainable, then the, the question becomes, what are you going to get that's better than a healthy Justice Winslow? Because we have to remember, we haven't seen that guy yet, right? And this is a healthy Justice Winslow that's going to have an opportunity to be in a full off season. Uh, Brendan Smart wrote about Winslow for us in our player reviews over at GBB. And he did a great job kind of articulating that point. We There are so many examples, even just on the Grizzlies, of guys who, once they are fully healthy, taking off and taking the next step. Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton, Jonas Valanciunas. You know, up and down the roster throughout their careers, health is wealth, man. And this was the weirdest year and the worst year probably in NBA history to suffer the kinds of injuries that Jaron and, and Justice did because they didn't have the full opportunity to rehab with the team because of a pandemic going on. So I, I, I do believe that there is more room for conversation than there was going into, you know, Justice returning because of the flaws of Winslow's game being so predominantly on display due to everything that happened this year, including his own, you know, return from injury. But what are you going to do in his absence? And if you're just going to punt and, and not opt into him, yeah, you have cap space, but how are you going to fill that space? I think that's an important question to answer. So uh, to be honest with you, uh, and maybe it's a bit of a cop-out, uh, I'm not exactly sure what I would do. I think that I see both sides of it. I see Winslow being valuable as a facilitator, as a big wing defender, next to Dylan Brooks. I think that is important. They don't have many guys that are capable of doing what Winslow can do if he's healthy, but that's a big if. You know, that's a big if at this point, and you're in investing $13 million and essentially punting a free agent signing this year in order to retain somebody who may not be any good for you. So it's not a bad long-term problem to have because worst-case scenario, he's gone in 2022 and that money clears the books then. But at the same time, you're you're trying to maximize the opportunity in front of you without costing yourself your long term view of success. And that's kind of where they're at. You know, there are going to be playoff expectations for them moving forward. But the counter to that is it can't be at the expense of their long term uh, view of things like they shouldn't completely blow every asset they have to try to move up to be a top four team in the West right now they're still not in a position to, to compete for a title right now. Could that be different 12 months from now? Yeah, it could be. I think they're on that natural progression point. But at the same time, if you if you do it too early, you, you run the risk of missing your window. They really have to time their dismount well here, so to speak. And I think that's a challenge that they're facing uh, with, with Winslow in particular. So maybe you opt into him simply because if he's good, he gives you a year of production that will make the team better. And if he's bad, you didn't lose anything really for him. You didn't think you could replace him well in free agency, and you can kind of just move on into the next step without uh, without him in the fold in 2022 if things don't work out this coming season. So I guess I'm kind of leaning towards keeping him because it sounds like the Grizzlies are leaning towards keeping him too. But it's certainly not the home run, hey, this is obvious, they should do it, that it may have been, you know, when the trade was initially made. Yeah, that's something I was going to mention to you, because at the, the end of the season post con or press conference, Jenkins and Kleiman were 
same page. And, and obviously it, it's coach talk, right? They're not just going to flat out say, oh, well, he, he's gone. Like they're not going to say that. We know that. But the entire time that Justice has been with Memphis, both of those guys have kind of implied that they see him as a part of the, the future. Maybe not necessarily a core as in, you know, he's not as valuable as John Jaron to this team, but it seems like they're pretty high on him. And even with what we saw as trouble throughout the season, they still had a lot of good things to say about him. Well, it's important to point out that Kleiman did indeed, not not as to the exact same level as John Jaron, but multiple times when Kleiman was available, he mentioned justice in the same sentence. And Kleiman is very measured. I know you know that. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably are at least familiar with Zach Kleiman. He is, he is very measured in the way that he interacts with people, the way that he puts out information. He's wise beyond his years in that way. So I don't think it's a mistake when he repeatedly says that justice is, a view, is viewed as a key piece of what they're trying to do. Now, it, health will determine that, right? And if he never gets right from his hip or his back, you know, all these different ailments that he's had over the last couple of years, if those things hold him out and make it so that he can't be what he was supposed to be, I believe Kleiman's going to make the necessary business decision. But I don't know that they're comfortable saying that right now because he hasn't been given that full offseason without an injury to work on his game, to find his shooting stroke, to regain some of that facilitation and a lot of that defensive energy and movement that we saw flashes of, especially defensively this past season, even with all the adversity he had to face. But he hasn't had a chance to be fully indoctrinated through a training camp, through practices. And I do believe that they've invested enough in him that they're going to be willing to opt into that contract and see what they have and then make the decision in 2022 when, again, if things continue to progress the way they're supposed to, they probably will be a top-four seed contender in the Western Conference. And if that is the case and that's your reality – then you're probably a, a title contender, at least in terms of getting to the second round and making the conference semifinals. And once you get to that point, you know, you're one of eight teams left playing basketball in the NBA. That's important to keep in mind. They're on that trajectory. They've got to make a decision on him soon because of it. Right. Yeah. And at his age, the thing that Isaac brings up pretty frequently, and I know that the people that have listened to this show have heard it. And if you haven't, if this is your first time you're listening to Joe is with us, welcome. We're glad to have you. But the the numbers that he put up this year were significantly below his career numbers as far as shooting splits. You know, he, he's not a 19%, you know, shooter for his career. You're going to see that come up. Is he going to be a 40% guy from three? Absolutely not. That's not, he, he's not a shooter. He's not going to be a guy that's going to shoot 40% from three, but he's not, he's also not going to shoot 19% from three. So, you know, this is like floor. You, you, you're not going to get any lower than what he was this year. And his age, you get him healthy. You, you may see a, a pretty good upswing. And, and I agree with you wholeheartedly on the, the defender thing, because even though he struggled on the offensive end, he was still very effective on the defensive end of the floor. So much so, in fact, that there were people calling for him to get reps during that Utah Jazz series after essentially being benched and not playing for weeks. 
I thought that was kind of humorous. Like people, people trash Justice Winslow all this time when he was playing, and now they're in a series that they're actively trying to win, and you call for him trying to play. I, I just thought that was, like I said, a, a bit ironic. Yeah. Uh, listen, for me, when I watched Justice Winslow play, he looked like somebody that wasn't confident in his body. You know, he's a bigger wing. He's six foot six, six foot seven, two hundred and twenty pounds. And when he was finishing in traffic or around the rim with bodies on him, he didn't finish strong. He's built to finish strong. Like that is his frame. That is his game in terms of getting to the basket and trying to facilitate out of that and dribble penetration. That's another reason that they like him. He's able to do the drive and kick scheme that Ja Morant is elite at at this point. Justice is obviously not as good as Ja at it, but he is a defensive wing that is capable of doing that type of production better than Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is not a drive and kick wing. Justice Winslow can be, and they complement each other well in that way. So uh, I think that's what they see when they see Justice, and he just hasn't been able to do that effectively because of the injury, because of the lack of practice. I really think that a year of health is going to benefit him. So if the Grizzlies think that they're legitimate contenders for, like I said, a Josh Hart, uh, Lonzo Ball, you know, those types of guys. And obviously there's other names, Doug McDermott's a free agent. Like if they want to try to get a guy like that, then yeah, it makes sense to opt out of justice because you have more evidence in the here and now suggesting that those guys can make you better beyond this season. But they obviously like justice. They see his fit. They like him as a coaching staff. They like him as a front office. They seem pretty in, in, uh, in lockstep with that concept. And if we keep talking about how the Grizzlies need a bigger wing, which I think is a fair thing to say, Justice Winslow is a bigger wing. He just hasn't been able to do what he was brought here to do yet. So I believe they're going to opt in. I I think just in the course of this conversation, I kind of talked myself into it. Um, (laughs) But if they opted out, if they tried to do some sort of more team-friendly deal, it's not like Justice is going to get $13 million on the open. So if they opted out and said, hey, Justice, we want you to come back, Here's a, you know, three-year, $30 million deal that's partially guaranteed if things don't work out and it adds up to the $13 million that would have been on the team option. Like, maybe something like that happens if it's possible. But I, I think it's just easier and cleaner for them to opt into the team option because as much as Grizzlies fans want them to, they are not going to accelerate their plan for anyone. If they think they're ready, they'll make that big swing. But they proved again this year, to the detriment of their playoff chances, that they are going to prioritize the long view. They've done that time and again. They're not going to jeopardize and take their shot before they think they're ready. I think they probably still think they're one year away. I could see them making a trade to try to get up, and I know we'll talk more about this, to try to get up in the draft. I could see that happening. I don't see them making a big swing for a free agent this year because the team, you still don't know what you have in Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, if if we're going to talk about, we don't know what we have in Justice Winslow. Jaron Jackson Jr. has missed considerable amount of time due to injury multiple seasons now. If he's supposed to be your number two, I don't see how you can be confident in any way, shape or form that he can consistently be that guy for John Morant. And again, just like Justice, they talk about how they see Justice as important. They talk about seeing Jaron as that important. And Jaron's coming up on a contract that's probably going to be a max extension. So they still have – they've answered a lot of questions, but they still have other questions that are big enough and unanswered enough 
that I don't see them taking that home run swing this offseason. And because of that, opt into the $13 million, see what you have in justice. And if it doesn't work out, he's an unrestricted free agent, and he comes off your books when you probably will be making that big swing in 2022. Yep, I agree with you. I'm glad you brought up the draft. That's actually the next place that I was going. Right now, as the roster is constructed, there's no road to playing time for anybody that they would draft at 17. If they happen to move up or something like that, there, you know, th- there's always chances of, of change. But let's just, for this conversation, assume that they're picking at, at 17. Who are, let's say, three guys that you're looking at Maybe one that, that has a small chance to fall at 17 and then two guys that, that like we're certain are going to be there at 17. Who, who are your guys that you would like to see the Grizzlies target in this draft? Well, I think there's opportunity for a guy like I know Sean probably talked about Zaire Williams a little bit on the show. I haven't had a chance to listen yet. I apologize for that. But I know Sean's high on him. You know, he's kind of an upside play. He's a production at the college level, and this front office has not really shown a willingness to to deviate from taking good basketball players in college. And it's worked so far, right? Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain, who was just named to the all-rookie team. You know, those those are guys that were good in college, and they're good in the NBA, and, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies aren't really surprised by that. So I think Williams would be a bit out of character for them, but I do see him as, you know, a possible tumbler to 17, and if he hits, you know, that's a starting wing that, that can really contribute both on both ends of the floor for you long term. Um, you know, Corey Kispert is somebody that I could see tumbling because of his performance there late in the NCAA tournament, uh, because of his age, the Gonzaga factor, kind of similar to Brandon Clark. Uh, but I love Kispert's game, and I think that on the wing as a, su- as a shooter, as a creator, uh, he, he could grow a little bit in that area of his game. But I really love his floor spacing. I think next to Dylan Brooks, he makes a lot of sense. So I like Corey Kispert. And then Moses Moody is another guy who I think has a lot of talent, who could potentially fall, um, but also could be in that late lottery mix, you know, and, and that's somebody that they might have to trade up to try to get if they really like him. But a bigger wing that can create off the dribble, that can definitely shoot, that has three and D potential. I think most folks would agree that that's what they need most. Uh, prioritizing someone that can create off the dribble for themselves. You know, James Bonite makes makes a lot of sense in that way as well. So even though he may not fit that bigger wing description we were talking about earlier, if you can create off the dribble and score for yourself, you know, I think watching these NBA playoffs, that kind of drives home just how important those types of players are. Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, you know, Trey Young, obviously, you know, guards that can get off the dribble, pull up jumpers, pull up threes. You know, there's a couple of guys that could be in that late lottery to 17 mix that Memphis may have to trade up a little bit for to try to acquire. I also, because of exactly what you just said and the fact that their roster, I think they have 14 guys under contract going into free agency. That's unheard of. Like that, that never happens that the team is essentially set uh, going into it. I could see them trading out of 17 and maybe trying to recoup some of the second round picks that they lost to get Bain and Tillman. You know, maybe they trade one first for a future second or two, and then they, they get a late second rounder on this draft, and they take somebody that they'll send down to the Memphis hustle for the year. 
I could see them doing something like that and recouping, like I said, some of the assets that they lost to trade up for both Bain and Tillman. So I I think that they have a lot of flexibility. I do believe that they are probably just going to run it back essentially this year for the reasons that I uh, mentioned earlier. And because of that, I could see them trading up and using a Grayson Allen or using a, you know, heaven forbid, Brandon Clark. I don't think Clark is realistic. But a, a Grayson Allen jumps out at me as someone that they're going to have to pay. Someone's going to have to pay him in restricted free agency. If you take 17 and Grayson Clark or Grayson Allen, excuse me, does that move you into you know the 13th slot of Indiana or the 11th slot of Charlotte or vice versa, whichever one they may fit in? Does that get you into the late lottery? Do you need to add another second um, or another first, even a heavily protected first? There, there's there's room for them to move both up and down. I honestly kind of think it's unlikely they pick at 17 because of that, because of exactly what you just said. Obviously, Occam's razor would suggest that the simplest thing is what's going to happen, and the simplest thing for them would be to stay at 17. But I think it makes a lot more sense, given their current structure, to use some of that roster depth in terms of consolidation to move up in the lottery to take somebody that they are worried won't be there at 17 that they really like. Or if they don't really like anybody enough to do that, they trade back get some more draft resources for down the road. And again, they kind of kick the can because they have so many guys under contract that they already like. So out of the three guys that you mentioned, if the Grizzlies have to move up, or, or let's just say that all three of those guys, Zaire Williams, uh, Corey Kispert, and Moses Moody, all three of those guys are on the board at 17. You're playing climbing here. Who are you taking out of those three? Out of those three? I mean, again, I feel like I would trade back. Like that is probably what I would do to try to recoup some of what was lost, especially if somebody really is in love, you know, with Williams. You know, Williams is a great example of that upside play that an NBA GM is going to say, oh, man, this guy could be a superstar. Oh, well, he could also be, you know, a below average rotation player or not even in a rotation. And Memphis, they just haven't done that yet. It doesn't mean that they can't do that. And maybe that is the next step of their build is taking that shot but they haven't taken that shot yet i'm not sold on him at all like i've watched i watched a lot of film on him isaac and i talked about him on a previous episode and he doesn't like i get the size and athleticism but there's nothing in his game that shows me he's going to be able to be good at x at the next level That, that he he didn't show me anything that made me believe that, you know, this is 100% for sure going to be a strong point for him. And, and I get the, you know, I understand the upside part of it, but I, there's so many guys, you you look back over the, the history of the draft, there's so many guys that are taken in the first round that, you know, four or five years down the road or, or aren't even in the league. They're overseas or, or they're in the G League and, maybe they do change it up a little bit because they can, they can afford to take a swing at upside, you know, because of the way the roster is constructed, but it would really surprise me if they take him at 17. It's out of character for them. I I agree with, I would see if they did make a pick Moody would make sense. Kispert would definitely make sense. And again, James Bonite, that is somebody who, and if I'm mispronouncing his name, forgive me, but that is someone who gives off that Donovan Mitchell, Lou Williams, maybe is a better comp, you know, that, that microwave scorer off the bench that can provide you offense in a variety of ways. And when worse comes to worse, can create for himself. 
they need that more than anything. And I believe that that kind of guy could make sense at 17. But in theory, if you draft a guy like that, again, you've got Grayson Allen on the roster already. You've got DeAnthony Melton. You've got Desmond Bain. You know, there's multiple pieces that kind of make a lot of people. For example, he's only 22 years old. There's still development to his game. Desmond Bain grew. Sean wrote a great piece that was retweeted by John Morant today over at GBB, which was awesome. Uh, it was a good day for GBP for a lot of reasons. But, you know, Desmond grew his game in a tremendous amount of ways over the course of the season. So I really believe that they have guys that are under contract that can be that guy or develop into that guy more than a Grayson Allen. And I would tag Grayson Allen onto 17 and see what that gets me. Even if it gets me out of this draft and it gets me another future first, to me, that is another asset that you add into a possible 2022 swing and you have four or five firsts that you can throw at Washington to try to get Bradley Beal or you can throw at another team to try to get a disgruntled star. And, you know, you're, you're in a position of strength there, like the Toronto Raptors were, like the Phoenix Suns were for their trades of Kawhi. An interesting window into what they're going to do, how they see themselves. Because on one end, you could see them trading up and trying to add a lottery-level talent. On the other end, you could see them trading back and trying to kick the can down to 2022 and maybe pay, try to get another asset like a first-round pick, could, could 17 and Grayson Allen get you a protected first from somebody? Potentially, especially if they really like a Zaire Williams or someone like that. And, and having your, you know, your arsenal of trade uh, trade items, that puts you in a spot where you can go out and try to get a disgruntled star. There's value in that. And I think the Grizzlies continue to position themselves well but they're going to have to make that decision within the next couple of years because if they're going to keep Jaron Jackson Jr., it's probably going to take the max. I, I mean, he'll, he'll sign an offer sheet with somebody that will be around that level of money. And then John Morant, of course, is going to get a max contract. So in the next couple of years, you're going to have two rookie max extensions. You're going to have to get that next dude in some way, shape, or form in the next year or so, this draft is going to be a fascinating window into just how close they think they are. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning Jaron's contract because that's something – what's that number look like to you? Like, where are you comfortable? He He's flashed plenty of upside. You go back and you look to see his numbers in the bubble, how well he played there, the, the big-time three that he made in the, the San Antonio game – you know, showing that the the pressure, the stage was not too big for him. Who would be a good comp, or, or or you know, maybe if you don't have a comp, what's that number for you for his contract? What is too much, and or where do you think that they need to be on that? I've heard a lot of people, and I'm one of those people, talk about the Jalen Brown extension. You know, ideally, that is they would give because that fits within that idea of what he's shown to be capable of as well as what you hope he becomes if that makes sense so that that is a realistic or maybe not realistic that would be my hope is that kind of a contract the most likely there and the reason i say that is you know and i know you know this memphis is not a free agent destination 
Is it possible that changes because of John Morant? Yeah, it's possible. Jaw is the kind of superstar that people want to play with because he's not the, the guy that needs to get 30 shots up to impact the game. Other guys will want to play with Jaw because Jaw puts other teammates first, and that's important. I do think that if you're going to show future draft picks, future free agent targets, that Memphis is a desirable location to be in the NBA landscape, you got to overpay for Jaron Jackson Jr. because it shows that you take care of your own. You know what I mean? Like Jaron is a Grizzlies draft pick. Jaron is someone that has been a part of this franchise, and this is the only franchise he's ever known. So if you don't take care of that guy, Memphis is not Boston. The Grizzlies don't have the same kind of history, the same kind of angles in terms of franchise health that the, that the Celtics do. So Memphis is going to have to overpay. It's one of the reasons they overpaid for Chandler Parsons. And in hindsight, people can trash that trade. But Parsons was a top 10 to 15 free agent target on every single list. You know, hindsight's 2020, but at the time, Parsons was viewed as a good signing and they had to overpay because it was Memphis. So I, I believe that, that there's still an area of that because Jaw is so young, because the team's culture and success is still so early in its process. And you want to show that you reward guys that are a part of your organization and you want to keep people as part of that culture and standard. So as long as Jaron doesn't become a malcontent, I think they're going to max him. And because of that, that uh, to me, that more than the Justice Winslow trade will be the setup for the first major failure of Zach Kleiman. Because if they max him and he doesn't become that level of player, now you're looking at a situation where you've hamstrung your franchise for several years. It's not just, you know, Justice Winslow here for two seasons and gone. It's, okay, now I've got five years of a guy on a max deal who's not worth a max deal. But think about Jamal Murray. Right, Jamal Murray of the Denver Nuggets. Was Jamal Murray worthy of that extension when he signed it? No, of course he wasn't. They signed him for what they thought he would become in Denver with their development system. And sure enough, Jamal Murray has become worthy of that contract. To me, that is a good comp if you're trying to be optimistic about this. You pay Jaron because you're not going to be able to replace him. He is a legitimate unicorn. Nobody in the NBA outside of Porzingis maybe can do what Jaron does. Carl Anthony Towns is better at it and he rebounds and, and that's a little bit different. But in terms of his defensive potential on the perimeter, his rim protection, his volume three-point shooting, his ability to create off the dribble, when he was healthy in the bubble, he had shades of Kevin Durant. Now, is Kevin Durant better? Of course, Kevin Durant's better. But the fact that with his frame, Jaron was able to do off the dribble the things that he did before he hurt his knee, there's no one that Memphis is going to replace him with that can do those things. So I think they're going to max him. They're going to hope for a Jamal Murray-esque rise to the contract. And if Jaron's healthy and they've treated him the way that they, you know, they have because they hope that he'll come back fully strong uh, after an offseason of work on his game, you know, I think they'll max him this summer and they'll hope for the best. And they've done everything they can to this point to logically think that they will get his best moving forward. We still don't know what Jaron Jackson is as an NBA player. I think he's two months older than John Morant, and he's played a full season more. We have to be patient with him, and they're going to look at it as a long-term investment would be my, uh, would be my thought. Yeah, you actually you answered my next question, 
in you know in the midst of that, I was going to ask if you think that they got it done this summer, or if man, I, I if I'm the front office, I'm getting it done. I feel like if they wait that they're going to have to pay him more than what they would have because somebody, you know, you look at the, uh, the Bogdan Bogdanovich thing with Atlanta, you know, Sacramento had him, they, they worked out a trade that backfired on him, but somebody sees him, they see his talent. They're going to like him. They're going to make him an offer. And then the Grizzlies would be stuck either matching that offer or letting him walk. And, and you just, you can't afford to do that. If you want to, on the, the track that Ja is on, he, he is ascending to the superstar status. Some may argue that he's already there. I don't know that he's quite at that point yet, but I think that he, he's he's on his way. You've got to do things to show him that you're going to win, especially in a small market, because if not, man, this media, look, look at the, the, the crap that's going on with Zion right now. There's any, like the slightest sign of any type of disagreement or he's unhappy and the media is just going to go in a frenzy of all oh, get him out of this small market. And that is not something that this franchise needs to deal with if they want to, you know, build a uh, title contending team for a long time moving forward. So since you answered the, the Jaren's contract question for me and, and what you, you said, you think that they're getting it done this summer. If you, yes. you know, you, you, you are the, you're the king of the trade machine. You're throwing all <laughs> kinds of, uh, of trade machine stuff out there. So who, who do you think if you had to say the Grizzlies were to make a move right now, and I know that there's been a couple different guys that you have mentioned on Twitter, but let, let's go dream scenario here. Who is the guy that you feel like the Grizzlies could trade for that immediately puts them into their window? The, the dream scenario is Bradley Beal. That's the dream scenario. Now, that's probably not going to happen because Washington, I know Scott Brooks isn't returning. Washington's going to hire somebody that they're going to try to win now because they have Beal and they have Russell Westbrook. They just signed Davis Bertans to this contract. They have Thomas Bryant. Uh, I see them trying to pursue a, a winning season and getting into the playoffs again, and I don't think Beal's on the block. That's why he's a dream. But he would be, you know, the superstar next to Jaw that would allow for Jaron to be the third best guy on the team, which is probably where he's best suited right now anyway. Beal would be the ideal. Now, what are you giving up for Beal if it doesn't involve Jaw or Jaron going back to Washington? Pretty much every asset you have. You're losing Brandon Clark. You're losing DeAnthony Melton. Uh, you're probably losing Valanchunas. You're losing multiple draft picks, four to five first round picks. Everything that you've earned over the last two years is gone, but you have Bradley Beal. Now, does Bradley Beal make you a title contender? Right now, I don't think he does. And that is why I'm not really sure this is the time to take that swing because, you know, you, you have Beal on your roster. That's all well and good. And if we give Memphis the benefit of the doubt and say, that when they trade for guys, they usually stay, right? Like Zach Randolph stayed. Uh, they traded for guys like Jonas Valanciunas, and Jonas Valanciunas stayed. So if you give them that benefit of the doubt, and most of the time, if Memphis acquires them via trade, they fall in love with Memphis, they decide to stay. Even if Bradley Beal stays, does Beal at the age of 29 and 30 make this Grizzlies team without all those assets in tow, 
a title contender with a big three of Jaw and Jaron and Beal? That's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to it because I don't know enough about Jaron Jackson Jr. yet. And for me, I, I struggle with the dream scenario because of that. I think that they will make a trade. I think that the most realistic thing involves, like we talked about earlier in the show, the 17th overall pick. I think that they could tag a, a rotation player like a Grayson Allen, maybe a heavily protected future first, like 2025 first or something like that, when they hope to be really good anyway. And 17, and they try to move up to 11 or 13, and they get somebody they really like there. I could see them trading back out of 17 and trying to recoup what they lost in the Bain and Tillman deals. I think that it centers around 17 this year because they're still not sure what Jaron is. I think they know that they can't afford to lose Jaron because they can't replace him. There is no replacing Jaron Jackson Jr. in what he brings in terms of his skill set that fits so nicely next to John Morant when Jaron is on the floor and healthy and playing to his capacity. But they don't know if Jaron is a two or a three yet in terms of his importance to the roster. If Jaron is truly that co-cornerstone with Ja, then that changes the arithmetic in terms of what they need to do in that summer of 2022. If they need a second guy next to Ja because Jaron is more suited to be a three in terms of the third man, then they have to cough up more assets. They have to cough up more cap space. But they need a more definitive answer there. I think they believe Jaron is capable of being that second man, that right-hand man to Ja. But that's not crystal clear yet. They need more evidence before they take their shot, like I said, and they blow everything that they've earned to try to acquire that talent. So the dream is Bradley Beal. You know, Zach Levine, maybe you could throw in there. He'd probably be a little bit, little less cheaper than Beal, but still expensive in terms of the assets you'd have to give up. We've talked about Malcolm Brogdon before, but Brogdon is probably off the table now that Indiana has moved on from their coach, and they've said they expect to be better than they are with this roster so I don't know that there's really a ton of options for them realistically. Again, Beal is probably going to stay. He probably has a say in who the coach is going to be. And, you know, I think they want to be good in Washington. The Bulls clearly want to be good after their trade for Vucevic and, and wanting to try to get the, the Chicago team. You know, I see Chicago as a buyer trying to add talent in this offseason. So I think Memphis is more likely to try to do something on the, on the periphery through the draft. I don't see them actively taking a big swing this year. But if they did, the dream would be Beal. The more realistic scenario is either trading up or trading back out of 17 to try to refine uh, some of that roster consolidation. Either they add a talent that's an end-of-the-lottery type of guy, like Donovan Mitchell was a 13th overall pick, we have to remember. So maybe they think they can acquire that type of talent towards the end of the lottery. Or they say, we're just going to completely you know, run it back with our guys like I mentioned before, gain back stuff that they lost from the Bain and Tillman exchanges and look to 2022 for their chance to make their major move. I think it centers around the draft pick in terms of reality. Okay, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I don't see them making the big move. Would, would it be you know fantastic to watch that go down and, and to be in the news for, for landing a guy like Bill? Absolutely, that would be fun. It would be great, you know, just because of all of the bill on bill stuff, <laughs> you know, it would just be, it'd be incredible. It'd be great for podcasts and it would be great for bloggers. That's a fact. Yeah. 100%. Business would be booming. So, so one guy that we have not really discussed and I want to see if your opinion has changed on him and then we'll get out of here. 
Uh, Dylan Brooks, over the course of the season, uh, different times, I've um, you know, either been engaged in conversation with you on Twitter or read conversation between you and someone else. You felt like Dylan was more of a uh, sixth man off of the bench, kind of you know, the, the microwave score from the bench type of guy. After his performance in the play-in games and the series against Utah, has your outlook on Dylan Brooks changed at all? Well, I think we have to keep in perspective he did all of those things and essentially was that second-best player, right? Like we talk about, does Memphis need another dude? I think they need another dude. In the playoffs, that dude was Dylan Brooks. But they, you know, again, the play-in, they were successful. And I don't want to take away from the success they had in the play-in because that was important. Again, we're talking long view here. I think the Grizzlies grew up a, a good amount in that play-in tournament and the way they competed against the Utah Jazz. Those two weeks or two weeks we're going to look back on in three or four years when the Grizzlies are hopefully playing for an NBA championship, and we say that's when it started. So I don't want to diminish that at all. And I do think that the biggest credit to Dylan is, and it, it wasn't me because I saw Dylan, like you said, as that sixth man guy. I, I wasn't the one saying you need to trade him. There are plenty of people that wanted Dylan Brooks off of the team that, that did not see the value in what Brooks was able to do. I saw the value in Dylan in terms of the way that the team clearly follows him as a leader. You know, you saw it in the bubble. They deferred to him. They still did that in the play-in and the series with Utah this year. And Dylan just rose to the occasion. But the Grizzlies were still the first team in NBA history to make the playoffs as an official nine seed. Right. Like if it was a normal year before this one, before the play in tournament was expanded, the Grizzlies would have lost that game to the Golden State Warriors that Sunday and been out of the playoffs. And that series never would have happened. So I do think we need to maintain perspective. Dylan was that second guy, but he was that second guy on a a mediocre basketball team. And I don't that sounds like I'm trashing what they did. They weren't supposed to be mediocre. Right. They were supposed to be terrible. That's what a lot of people thought they were going to be. And they were a mediocre to above average team. And they deserve a heck of a lot of credit for that. They're ahead of their schedule. The point I'm trying to make is if you view Dylan Brooks as he's capable of being a starter or he's capable of being that number two guy. Okay. We have evidence to suggest that he's capable of being that on a team that's in the eight, nine seed range. But what's the goal? The goal is an NBA championship. Is Dylan Brooks capable of being that guy on an NBA championship team? My answer is still no. Is Dylan Brooks capable of being a starter on an NBA championship team? Maybe. Maybe that's where he's gained the most ground. But I still think that he's your fourth or fifth best player on a championship caliber team. And I still think that lines up with him being that elite sixth man of the year candidate coming off the bench, still getting starters minutes. He's essentially a sixth starter. But he, he's your key 3 and D guy coming in in that reserve potential spot. So to answer your question, it has and it hasn't. I think that it's more probable than it was that he could be a starter on that next great Grizzlies team because of his defensive acumen more than anything. But I do think it's also confirmed that we've seen – offensively, I don't see Dylan Brooks getting better than what he did uh, in terms of his efficiency especially. Like, he hadn't been that efficient at any point uh, in terms of that volume of scoring in his entire career. I don't think that's sustainable. Maybe I'm wrong. I think that he's proven that he's worthy of the deal that he signed. He's almost a bargain at that contract. 
I think he's shown that he should be on the next great Grizzlies team. And he's probably a tweener starter for a team that is trying to be a top four team in the Western Conference. Does that make him a starter? It depends on who you bring in as that next dude. Uh, I think that he has really displayed how important he is to the culture they're trying to build. And that more than anything matters. Because in a market like Memphis, again, LeBron's not going to choose to come here. Like Kawhi Leonard isn't going to opt out of his player option and say, you know what? The Grizzlies, that's where I want to be. Memphis, Tennessee. That's not going to happen. They're going to build this internally. Uh, I'm sorry to do it, buddy, but you know it to be true. So the, the fact remains, the way that they're building it is the right way to do it. And in terms of establishing what it means to be a Memphis Grizzlies basketball player, nobody has been more important to that over the last year or so than Dylan Brooks in terms of the swagger and the mentality they have. John Morant is electric, but I bet John Morant would say that, the and I think he has said it, the heart and soul of the team is Dylan Brooks. And because of that, he's almost reached like a Marcus Smart-esque plane where Dylan's talent is clearly good and he's productive as a player on both ends of the floor. But in terms of what he means beyond that to the city, what he means beyond that to the psyche of the roster, the development of a mentality and a toughness that it's going to take for the Grizzlies to take that next step, that holds even more long-term value to me than the way he did in the play-in because I don't know that he's able to sustain that level of offensive efficiency given his skill set. I know damn well he can sustain his defensive play, and I know he can sustain his confidence and his swagger, and that, more than anything, will make the Grizzlies continue to develop into a team that people hate to play. Yeah, I think the the coaching staff, multiple members of the coaching staff mentioned – efficiency for Dylan Brooks that that's the thing they're wanting him to become a more efficient scorer we got to see flashes of that in the in the play-in and the playoff series um but but actually I'm I really hate to admit this because I, I think it's rare but I I agree with you I I don't know that he can maintain the the 50 percent from the floor I I don't think that that is something that that he can do night in and night out maybe if he is, you know, you know, farther down in the pecking order, you know, like you say, maybe a third or fourth best player, and he's not taking 15 to 20 shots a game, he can hover right around that area. But at a high volume to stay that efficient, I, I don't see it happening. So we will, uh, we'll wrap it up, man. There, there's not much else that I, I really had. We've covered everything that I had on my notes. I appreciate you taking the time out of your evening. Um, I'm going to let you tell everybody where they can find you and then we'll get out of here. Right, time out. We're, we're, we're going into overtime here. We're going into overtime here. You, uh, Desmond Bain got named all second team rookie. I've been clamoring for Desmond Bain this entire time. I want to <laughs> shout out Desmond Bain. Is much more um, the, the, the fact that Desmond Bain is not just a shooter, although he is an elite three-point shooter already, but he can create off the dribble, he can defend, he was a depended-on reserve in a key playoff series, that's just another example of a major success of Zach Kleiman at Grizzlies front office. To trade up, to get him at the 30th overall pick, they have him under team control for the next several years at a very cheap number. Um, ability to develop talent by that Grizzlies coaching staff. Kudos to Zach Kleiman for identifying players that fit their mold. And most importantly, kudos to Desmond Bain, who had one Division One offer to TCU out of Richmond, Indiana. And he comes out and he has a tremendous 
rookie season for the Memphis Grizzlies. It was fantastic when I saw that news. Start Desmond Bain, you cowards. <laughs> I, and, you know, I, I nearly wrapped up without even talking about that. That That is why I can't believe it. You, you you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I'm, I'm like, hey, we got to talk about it. And then here I am wrapping up. I apologize. Oh, I'm just giving you a hard time on your show. I apologize. Yeah, for doing no, that. no, no, it, it's good. I can take it, man. That 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 is a guy. Uh, you know, Isaac and I both liked him coming into the draft, and I had before Isaac was uh, an official co-host here at Hootball, I had him on as a guest, and I said, okay, man, if the Grizzlies are gonna move up to get a guy, and and this was, you're not gonna move up into the top five. That's just not realistic. I said, realistically, if the if the Grizzlies can move up to get somebody, who would be your target? And Isaac said Desmond Bain, and you know he he does not have any problems patting himself on the back and reminding everybody that he <laughs> did that. And I don't blame him. I you know I, I'm the same way. I, I loved him watching. Last year was the first year that I really got to dive in deep to the draft. I, I've always kind of known the first, you know, five to ten guys a little bit. And then after that, I, I wasn't really interested in it. But I really got in, watched a lot of film, read a lot about these guys. And so really, really enjoyed it. And, and Bain was a guy that I saw early on that I liked. And I'm so glad that he is a Grizzly. And the uh, the three and then the nod as he's walking back is more Memphis than anything that I've ever seen. I loved it. That right there solidified him as an official Memphian in my book. He's he's really got a strong mental ability to be confident in himself, to believe in what he's capable of doing. And again, the Grizzlies have a type. You know, they they have a type. A, a guy with a chip on his shoulder. Like I said, the one Division One offer. You know, he has built himself into a very a good NBA player who has a lot of tools at his disposal to have a long and successful NBA career. And and like I said, kudos to Desmond Bain, man. That's a tremendous story. And I'm very glad he's Desmond Bain is, is almost certainly going to be on the next great Grizzlies team because of what he brings to the table and because of just how valuable that contract is. I mean, the fourth year of that rookie deal. I think he's making something like $2 million or $2.5 million, something along those lines. He is going to be one of the best values in the NBA. So it's going to be when, when the money starts getting tight, it's going to be wonderful to have a guy like Desmond Bain that can contribute uh, here in a, you know, over the next three years at the very least, probably longer, but definitely over the next three. All right, Joe, let them know where they can find you. And we will get absolutely. More, are we going double overtime, man? No, no, okay. I, right. I, I, I deserve that jab. No double overtime here. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Molinax. You can follow our blog on Twitter at SPN Grizzlies. Like I said, it was a very good day for us over at GBB. Uh, you know, John Morant tweeting out our article. Um, you know, lot, lots of good things happened for GBB today. So uh, I'm proud of our to, staff. To be verified. Right? I, I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to bring that up, but yes, that, that yep. did indeed happen. I appreciate that. And um, it, it was, you know, I've worked pretty hard over GBB over the last, you know, as site manager for five years. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of myself and the, the, the things I believe in just as a general person in terms of work ethic, you know, a, a lot of that has, has gone into our staff and our staff is tremendous. And I, I'm just very proud of what GBB has become. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do a couple of shows with GBB folks. Um, it, it means a lot. And it's like I said, it's been a good day at SBN Grizzlies. We have a podcast network. 
We have a terrific group of writers who do great work. We're going to start doing the draft here soon. We have our community draft, which I always regret doing because I allow trades and I, you know, I, I, we're going to be doing it soon. So if you're interested in, in making me crazy and, and trying to trade for Bradley Beal, then by all means uh, sign up for that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're excited for the off season. We're excited for the future of the Grizzlies and it's a good time to, uh, to follow GBB at SBN Grizzlies. Lots of good content, even as the off season kicks off. Yeah. Love the variety over there. That's something we, we talked about last time that you were on just, uh, guys from all over the, 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 from both ends of the spectrum. Um, you know, if you guys are not following the, the GBB guys, there are plenty that, that are fantastic on Twitter. Some that are terrible. Nate, I, I love you. You're terrible. Hate your takes. <laughs> you know, Nathan, Justin, Parker, Joe, you know, j- just a, a number of guys that do great things over there. And, and this will definitely not be the last time that we have, uh, part of the GBB nation on this show. We, we appreciate you guys a ton and enjoy reading those articles. So keep them coming, man. We're going to get out of here, guys. We appreciate you tuning in. You can find this show on Twitter at Hootball Grizz. I'm at DWill2111. My guy, Isaac, he is in Destin right now enjoying some sunshine. He is at Isaac underscore Riders. Get over there and check us out. We appreciate you listening. Until next time, go Grizz. This has been a Hoopball presentation. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.